Welcome to the Nurses for Healthy Environments podcast. My name is Beth Shank, nurse scientist and sustainability leader in Missoula, Montana. On the podcast, I interview nurses working at the intersection of health and environment. Today, our guest is Dr. Susan Adams. Dr. Adams teaches at UC Davis, University of California, Davis, in the Betty Irene Moore School of Nursing, and she's also a former elected county supervisor. Good morning, Susan. Good morning. Thank you for joining us today. Tell us a bit about yourself and your nursing background in particular. Well, I've been a nurse for 40 years now, um, uh, ranging anywhere from bedside nursing to political life, where I was an elected county supervisor, um, and running uh, a high-risk perinatal program for um, drug-addicted pregnant women uh, at one point in my career, and then finally landing here in Sacramento at the UC Davis Betty Irene Moore School of Nursing, where I'm helping to teach our future healthcare leaders from the School of Medicine and the School of Nursing. Wow, that's quite a quite a trajectory. So, so first of all, let me ask how you got interested in teaching. Um, wow. Well, it's it's always been in me. I I did some uh, teaching work when I was at UCSF, and I really enjoyed seeing the light bulbs go off when students were engaging and, you know, they're using their critical thinking. And I look at it as an opportunity to um, help expand my capacity um, to make a change in healthcare. When you can help um, help the, the future generations of clinical leaders, um, you're doing more than just what you could do by yourself. Great. And, and I definitely want to get into your political life, but, but first I want to just understand better um, some of the motivation for, for, first of all, your political life, but also for your teaching, specifically as it relates to environment. So could you talk a bit about your interest in environmental health, what specifically you've been involved with, why you're motivated to address it, et cetera? Sure. My, um, I, I'm a born and raised San Francisco. I'm a fifth generation San Franciscan. And I, my family has really deep roots in Northern California, too. I have a ranching family um, that spent a lot of time out in the environment. So growing up, I spent a lot of time in nature learning about how we are not just, the, we're not the masters of our environment, we're part of our environment. And what we do has an impact on not only the nature and the environment, but on ourselves. And in my healthcare profession, I've, I've always um, tried to look a little bit beyond what um, is uh, right in front of you in terms of medical or nursing diagnoses and treatment and say, well, what other things around us might be contributing to some of our health uh, problems. Part of my um, a, a reason that I was able to win a political race as an unknown candidate against a very popular, well-known candidate was that I was a, on the right side of an environmental issue where a developer wanted to come and build, you know, a thousand units of, you know, um, big houses in a floodplain where there was already some problems in a neighboring community that was a little bit lower income, um, having to deal with floods and levees and, you know, um, things that that had not been foreseen in the 50s when that community was built. And I said, you know, we need to be taking a look at where our 
the right places to create housing and not creating problems for future residents or for the environment. And part of the marshland areas are what helps to buffer us in our communities from flooding. Um, and be besides my campaign, you know, slogan of healthy people, healthy planet, and knocking on a lot of doors, my message about taking a look through a health lens at our policies resonated. And I won an election that I probably shouldn't have won by pollsters. Well, we know that there are often surprises in politics. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to a few this November. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what year was that that you ran and won, or years? I I, I ran. It was a two thousand and two, and I took office in two thousand and three, and I served for twelve years for three terms. Awesome. And during during that time, I was able to um, rein in the activities of a mining operation that was sending silica dust up into an into the environment. I was able to stop that. Um, development that was going to go into the floodplain. Um, I was able to build a health and wellness campus um, with, you know, the uh, support from tobacco settlement money that was Gold Lead certified and created a healthy environment for the employees as well as the people that were visiting and had full service, including workforce development and mental health services, all kinds of primary care, meditation gardens. It, it was a wonderful campus. You can actually go online and look at the Marin County Health and Wellness Campus um, to see the, uh, some of the photos. And, you know, being able to create um, walkable and bikeable pathways so that people can engage in active living and um, create healthier environments through um, how we, um, you know, teach our children about food and growing food in, in the schoolyards so that the kids are actually getting their fingers in the dirt and learning where their food comes from and learning healthy eating that way. So as a nurse with a lens on policy, um, from a health perspective, we were able to create a lot of really wonderful uh, programs in our county. That sounds just outrageously exciting and satisfying. So I have to ask the question, do you feel like your nursing background helped prepare you for that, helped you translate some of the complexities into health issues or help you talk with people or anything else? Oh, absolutely. Um, nothing like the nursing process to <laughs> help you figure out how, you know, what's the problem? How do you assess? What information do you need? And then how do you create a plan when you implement the plan? Is it working? If it's not working, what do you need to do to tweak it and reevaluate to um, get it to a place where it's working? And then the communication skills that we learn, how do you get to yes? When you have a lot of people saying no, what are the what are the things that we can do uh, to help um, listen to understand and not necessarily to want to push our agenda and to engage people to find those common ground areas, even though our idea, our ideas for solutions might be different. Um, we if we can find those common core values uh, we can change the world. And then the other thing is making that connection to health. You know, that all all of us on this little blue marble that's circulating around in the universe, all 7.5 plus billion of us, 
um, have one place that we call home and we need to take care of our home. We need to be good stewards of our home. And the science is saying that we haven't been doing that. So being able to speak to the science of what environmental health means to health and how environmental health has an impact on who's showing up in our emergency departments or who's which um, zip codes are doing better than others. There's a lot of really great work coming out of the California Endowment um, under Tony Iton, I-T-O-N, a physician who was um, directing public health in the county of Alameda in California and found that there were up to 20 years difference in mortality between zip codes that were adjacent to each other. And it wasn't all about access to health care. It was about some of the environmental conditions that set people up for living longer or shorter lives. Wow, that's really t- terrific. And you said that so beautifully. I, I, I noted a few things. The part about getting to yes, listening to understand rather than always to convince, finding common ground, common values, and connecting to health. I think these are the reasons why perhaps that nurses are the most trusted professionals. You've just outlined a a beautiful way to uh, be influential in the world. Did did you find that... um, uh, uh, people responded in this way? I mean, it'd be hard to compare yourself to a non-nurse, but but could you say any more about that? Well, I, I was on a board with four people that were non-nurses. And one of the beauties of being in elected office is when you're only one of five people um, making policy decisions, all you have to do is convince two other people about your idea and you've launched. Um, we we had a, an incredible therapeutic justice program that diverted nonviolent mentally ill people into treatment instead of jail. And as a result, emptied our jails of people where there had been overcrowding before. We were one of the few jails in the state of California that had empty jail beds. And over 10 years, 200 severely mentally ill people were being housed and case managed and, and, and given workforce um, Um, training and they ended up being community assets rather than liabilities. We reduced the recidivism in that population by 80% and psych emergency visits by more than half. And And that comes from having a nursing perspective, but you can't just put it there out of the front of the gate. You have to find those common core values first. And I I think looking at all policies through a health lens was my gift, my talent. Um, And we we were able to um, transform a lot of elements in our community as a result of my colleagues um, listening and understanding and asking questions to the point where we were able to make some really wonderful policy decisions. That's terrific. And so can you run for president? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, this is part of, I could have retired when I left public office. Um, However, UC Davis was very excited that there was a nurse with a PhD who had been in public office and they tapped me to come teach leadership, health policy, ethics, 
some maternity because I am a women's health nurse practitioner uh, by trade originally, but um, to be able to help grow our next generation of policymakers and leaders. And I launched um, a an endowed scholarship here for a student every year who's showing promise in that area. So that's part of my positive response to the negativity that we're seeing right now sometimes, many times in our national discourse um, and trying to get us back to that place of how do we care for each other as a community? How do we care for each other and lift all boats together? Because we all do better when everybody does well. Right. Uh, one of the areas I'm interested in is in, in education, nursing education, um, not only in the undergrad and grad levels, but through the through the professional time, um, to have this wider lens like you do. So to move really from cellular-based definitions of health and one patient at a time to thinking of population health, community health, and global health, and also the multifactorial aspects that come together to make health more or less possible. So it sounds like that's somewhat of an approach that you're, you take in your academic work now. Do you have... Um, stories to tell about successes in that way or approaches that help students to understand and make these connections and not be overwhelmed by them? Sure. I have, um, I, I launched a, a learning module about uh, the quarry experience. And I started with a Google map of the area and then I hone in on the different communities that lived around the quarry. And then I um, talked about some of the impacts that um, silica dust, noise, um, you know, ha have on, on, on long-term health. And I had the students work through the thinking about, you know, if you were a member of this community or you were a nurse in the health and wellness uh, campus dealing with chronic lung problems from this community, um, how, what would your approach be? How would you want to help to move the policy in a way that created a healthier environment for the people that you either lived with or served? And the students have to go through a lot of reflective writing. I include um, some information about how government works. I think too many of us don't know how government works very well, and we don't know um, how you know from how laws are made to how the regulations are implemented. So becoming knowledgeable about how that works and why it's important to understand that, because when a policymaker makes a decision about whether or not funding is going to come from your program or how you get to practice nursing in your community. Um, you don't really understand that, you know, that's a, a lot of what we have to carry as part of our of our load. You can't break laws. You, you know, we have HIPAA for good reasons. We have, um, you know, issues around scope of practice. In California, for example, we're still fighting for having full scope of practice under the law for nurses here, especially for nurse practitioners. And so understanding policy and then getting engaged with the policymakers. You know, we were so focused on national policy, we forget that those city council people and county super supervisor or commissioner people are the ones that are making a lot of the rules and regulations that affect us on our day-to-day 
uh, lives in our community. And so how do we engage? Going to a meeting, listening to, you know, you can even some, many of them are audio visually webcast now. So you can watch the meetings in the comfort of your own home, but having a connection with those policymakers, you know, going to their events or going to their town hall meetings, asking them questions, serving on a, on a, a council or a committee that they're asking. We have a, a number of people that um, will serve on our women's commission, our first five commission here in California for children, our mentally our, our mental health uh, commission, and the policymakers appoint people from the community to serve on those commissions and then to advise them on policy. So those are ways if you don't want to be an elected person to use your resources to be able to gain um, an alliance and trust with the people that are finally making the votes on policies that affect your life. That's a terrific reminder that if we want to uh, have influence over our own lives and work, we have to be involved in the decision making. Do you, my experience has been that the people, the nurses I know who are involved in advocacy or um, governmental roles or uh, leadership roles in their professional organizations do so uh, out of their own um, sense of, um, I don't know, justice or agitation or commitment. But we don't really ask it of ourselves as a profession. It's, it's, it is in our scope and standard of practice, and it is in some of our professional organization uh, expected roles. But when I think of the three and a half million or so nurses, very few actually do that. Do you have some ideas about encouraging that, requiring it, um, asking for it as a professional role? How could we make that a stronger voice? Well, if you look at who makes up the nursing profession, 90% of us are women. And when you look at some of the organizations like Emily's List or Emerge, which are trying to help encourage more women to become engaged in policy, um, you find there are some key elements. First of all, women um, typically don't feel like they know enough to be able to run for office. And if you look at the person that's occupying the White House right now, I would say that myth should be blown out of the water right now, because it, it, all it takes is for you to be 18 years of age or older, um, a, a citizen of the United States, and that you um, take out the papers and you run. And so uh, the second thing is that women often will respond well when somebody else says to them, you know, you'd make a really good city council person. I think you should run for office and I will help you do it. And what I've done is help mentor our future um, healthcare professional leaders in saying, if you decide you, you're going to run for office, I think you'd be a great candidate. I will work for you on your campaign. I will help knock on doors for you. I will mail letters for you. I will make phone calls for you. I will help you fundraise. When you have a posse behind you, and this is how women, women work better within, um, I think, community and groups um it's it's the there's a lot of uh, feminist literature around this that that th there are a little bit different styles of how women work um to solve problems and how men work to solve problems it doesn't mean that one's right or one's wrong but how do we tap into that supportive environment or network that will help give women the courage to step up and step out. And there's nothing wrong with being somebody behind the scenes to help 
somebody else step up and step out. And so it's just, it hasn't been part of our nursing training typically. You know, we learn about nursing process. We've been focused on the tasks of providing good nursing care. But what we're doing here at the Betty Irene Moore School of Nursing is helping to train future nurse leaders who are going to step out of that role um, at keeping that role, but, but, but expanding it into a more of a, a, a leadership position and encouraging and nurturing uh, that kind of um, action. That's great. And it's a great reminder about um, the um, reality that nursing is primarily female um, and, and that some of the characteristics that make it difficult for, for women to get engaged in healthcare certainly apply to nursing. I, I wanted to ask a bit more about your leadership program there at UC Davis. Is uh, is that woven through all levels, through your, your bachelor's, master's, and doctoral programs, or do you have specific doctoral programs for it? Tell me about that. So, so the the UC system in California is a is a graduate is is uh, for for healthcare is focused on the graduate healthcare. So medical school, graduate nursing school, um, so masters in nursing, masters uh, family nurse practitioners program, um, where the um, PhD program, and so we where our focus is on um, helping to build leadership at the graduate level. We have a master's entry pre-licensure program that is in our third year now. And the students that are left, our first cohort of students that are now working in the environment were put right away into really incredible um, positions in their in their career. So we're really excited and it'll be, uh, we're gonna be tracking to see if the approach that we take with leadership and we uh, is, is also translating into how they're functioning in their post-graduate uh, work life. So we have our students, our master's entry students, our master's leadership students, our, um, uh, our FNP students, and our PhD students have opportunities to learn leadership together in the same classroom environment. We're also doing a lot of work with interprofessional education. So we're pulling in the School of Medicine to work on issues around policy and ethics um, so that when our students leave their educational program and they go out into the clinical setting, they're already used to thinking of each other as members of a team, as equal partners in a team, that there's no one person that's better or higher in a hierarchy than another. And so our students are very active in the community. They're doing some incredible work um, in Sacramento area in student-run clinics, um, serving people that have typically been left out of, of healthcare service. So we're really excited um, about our students here. And I, I think that, you know, that while the students, when they leave, they feel like they don't have every single task that they need to do at the bedside 100%, you know, um, that they're 100% in charge of it. What they do know is that all it's going to take is some practice in their clinical setting, but they have the skills in leadership and communication to be able to address issues that are having an impact on healthcare. And they have the skills on how to change those issues so that they have a better outcome. That sounds like a terrific program. Let me ask you a question. Is the, for the interprofessional work, do you have any specific projects that address environmental issues 
particularly either at a local or global level? Yeah, one of the programs that we've run with our um, FNP students, our master's entry students, and the School of Medicine students, there's like uh, over 150 of these students get together in a, in a five-week module called Team Peace. And we look at um, social equity, we look at disparities, we look at where people are placed, we look at issues around racism and how that plays on people's health, like where people are living next to the oil refineries and lower income communities, next to freeway overpasses. You know, how do we map where lower income people live and what their health care, what their health outcomes are in relationship to where wealthier people live and the kinds of opportunities they have for education. And so, um, and then we bring in some personal, you know, um, issues to help build relationship. You know, we start with food. You know, what kind of food did we eat? Why did we eat this kind of food? And the students will bring in um, food from their cultures. We have a very culturally diverse population of students here, which we're also very proud of, because these are the people that are reflecting the faces of who we've become in America. That sounds like a great, great project and uh, experience for these students. Do you also, or um, how would you approach the, some of the larger environmental topics, such as climate change or biodiversity loss or um, using overusing our resources. How do you weave that into either education or in your government uh, experience? Well, part of uh, you know our school environment, we have you know recycling. We have the re reduce, reuse, recycle, and rot. You know, sort of mojo. The rot being composting, um, and we are uh, we have a farmers market here. Our our new buildings that are built. Um, are all um, aimed toward gold lead certified. We have, you know, we're trying to be an example of how you live well uh, and within uh, your environment. So um, using reclaimed water, having solar energy to help with the heating, um, geothermal, um, doing passive lighting, having beautiful art that is also environmentally um, uh, sensitive. And so we ha we've set the environment and we've incorporated that into um, some of the, uh, just what the students see day in and day out so that they can make those changes when they go out into their communities. The other thing is that, is that I, I bring in some personal stories. Like I have a uh, mother who's now 85 years old, when she was 80, developed asthma and was in the hospital five times in a year for a week at a time, one time going into respiratory distress for pneumonia. And they kept saying, well, she's not taking her meds. And she's, you know, she, they, they, were, they kept focusing on the illness in the emergency room, the acute episode. They weren't asking the question in the hospital about, what else might be going on? And my parents live by the ocean in San Francisco, Ocean Beach, and they've lived in the same house for over 60 years. And I said, do you think it's something going on in the house? And they, you know, it kind of got blown off. So I had somebody come in and do an air quality assessment on my parents' house. And there were five kinds of molds in that house, including black mold and a penicillin producing mold, which my mom was allergic to. 
And so we had the house totally <laughs> stripped down, demolded, um, made safe for them. And it's been three years and my mom hasn't been back in the hospital and she, her asthma um, has gone away. So there's evidence that, you know, we have to think beyond that acute episode and look at what's happening in the environment that's affecting health. And I think um, some of the students had equally powerful stories that they shared. So when we start discussing these as examples of thinking outside of the box, thinking beyond just the acute episode and going down your list to rule out this and that, you you have an opportunity to actually make longer term, healthier changes in people's lives. And look at that, we, we five times in one year in an ED and all the costs to, you know, the taxpayers and to whoever else. I mean, she has Medicare and she has, you know, health, health um, care that she's able to get. But what about somebody who doesn't have access to health care and who's experiencing this? So it was um, it, it was a good learning example for the students. And and I think we need to um, help encourage our students in our educational programs to do that outside of the box thinking. Yeah, that's a great example and compelling. And uh, I've heard of other similar stories that that the the traditional medical uh, system just doesn't address. And so luckily, someone has a nurse daughter like yourself or or other access to thinking a little bit differently. Um, It sounds like you don't really have trouble staying motivated. But I want to shift a little bit to ask you, how do you stay motivated for this work? What what fuels you, would you say? I I don't know. Some of it may be just the way I was born. <laughs> but I think there is also some of it that's related to surrounding myself by really interesting and engaged people that have experiences, you know, far more, um, it, you know, in depth and at a higher level than I've had. And I learn from them. You know, I surround myself by people that, you know, can help guide me as I'm trying to, um, affect change. And my, you know, uh, you know, poor little liberal heart there is saying that, you know, if we, we all take care of each other, um, we, we form community where we all do well together. And I, and I, it breaks my heart when I see some of the things that I'm seeing in our national, um, policy right now, you know, parents being separated from children and a rolling back of our environmental protection. Uh, the EPA was protect was was initiated under a Republican president, and now to see them rolling some of those changes back that allowed us who used to have really dirty air and couldn't breathe to be able to have clean air and breathe and very few dirty air days or clean water. You look at what's happening in Flint, Michigan. How many years are they still dealing with lead in their water and the impacts on brain development for the young children in those communities? It's like there's a lot of work for us as nurses to be able to engage um, with our communities and you know, and this these midterm elections are going to be really important 
um, I get a little political here, but you know, this, this is who I am, um, that we, I'm not going to tell people how to vote. I'm just going to say, if you're not using your right to vote, if you haven't registered and you're not voting in every election, then you can't complain about what's happening in the country. And so, you know, get out and vote at the very least register as a voter. And if you're really compelled, you know, work for people and with people on their campaigns that you believe are representing the voice that you want in policymakers. Yeah, well said and hear, hear. Um, just one more question for you. And then I know we've used uh, all of our a lot of time, but, but it is uh, piggybacking on what you just said. What are you most concerned about right now in terms of environment and health, which I realize is a, could be uh, a very broadly uh, interpreted? Well, I mean, climate change is the big, huge, looming issue. We, like I said earlier, we are seven and a half billion of us living on a little blue marble. And if we don't get this right, the human um, experiment of life on planet Earth will be over. Mother Earth will survive us, but the human people may not. And I have a lot of grandchildren that I love and I adore. And I'm thinking, what is the legacy that we are leaving for them to have to pick up and clean up? And how are we um, going to do better for them? So I've, you know, I, I, like I said earlier, I come from a San Francisco. San Francisco is on the forefront of, you know, the, you know, anti-war and, you know, the summer of love and all of those other <laughs> you know, sort of things that help shape me growing up. And that activist part of me is still with me as a grandma today. And I think that if we love our families and we love our grandchildren and we want to uh, create a place that is going to be good for the next generations, that it's time to step up to the plate. We should have been doing all of this stuff yesterday, but I think it's still not too late um, to really make significant change today. That's terrific and an, and an optimistic note to end on. And, and thank you so much. It's been a delight to talk with you. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Um, no, I, I really appreciate the opportunity um, to, you know, have discourse on on this topic. And like I said, you know, I'm going to leave you with my motto, healthy people, healthy planet. You could reverse it too and say healthy planet, healthy people. So let's go forward and do it. Terrific. Well, thank you, Susan. And thank you all for listening to the Nurses for Healthy Environments podcast. Check us out at environ, E-N-V-I-R-N dot O-R-G, where you can find this and many other episodes please leave a review for us wherever you get your podcasts. Talk to you next time.